Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, beginning at verse 50. Uh, If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, One passage of Scripture to start today, and we'll jump around a little bit thereafter, but 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 50, it says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword, he triumphed over him. We've sang it already today. There is power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. And that's my message title today, The End of the Story. The End of the Story. There are some times when you're talking with some people, you really just need to know how the story ends. My wife and daughter get frustrated with me sometimes because Davina and Abby both like to tell the expanded version of stories. (laughs) They use the amplified version of stories. For you movie fans, sometimes they give you the director's cut with all the deleted scenes. I know I'm in trouble when I ask, how's your day been? And they start with breakfast. It's going to be a long story. You might as well settle in. And sometimes I make the mistake of actually asking, well, what does this person have to do with the outcome of the story? Whoo, that's bad. Sometimes I just want to know how it ends. Sometimes I want to know if it ends, (laughs) but I ultimately just want to know how the story concludes, how it resolves, how much is it going to cost me? Do you still have a job? Are your friends still alive? I don't need every jot and tittle. I don't need to know every step along the path. I just want to know how it ends. A few months ago, I actually like interrupted in the middle of one of my daughter's stories and uh, she got real silent and was really angry. And I was like, what did I do? What did I say? And I was like, oh, I thought it was over. But uh, it wasn't. It's different if I know how it ends, right? I can follow you through every twist and turn if I know we're going to be okay. Uh, Both of them are great storytellers, but sometimes that's not great for family communication. I don't need all the suspense and the drama and the embellishments. I don't need the voices. And my daughter is great. Like She can imitate probably 90% of the people in this room at one point or another. I just need to know how it's going to end. It's kind of like when you watch a superhero movie. You know that the main character is going to survive, right? He's going to save the day. It's just a matter of time before the tables turn and our hero rises to the challenge and crushes the enemy, vanquishes the supervillain. It's just a matter of time, right? But how many of you know that our lives are not movies? They don't have prescribed scripts where we know how it's going to end. God may know, but we don't always know. We don't always know if the hero is going to defeat the villain when we're in the middle of the story. We're not always sure. There are choices to be made. There are decisions that we must make, and the outcome is ultimately determined by the choices in the moment. How many of you have ever looked back at your life and viewed some of the things you've been through, and the thought enters your mind, well, that could have turned out a whole lot different. I remember getting off the interstate one day out in Innsbruck, and I hit a patch of ice and my car began to spin and I was coming under an overpass and my car is spinning in the middle of three lanes of traffic and there are cars all around me. And when my car finally stops, I was facing the opposite direction. I was headed towards Innsbruck when I started. I was staring at short pump when I finished. There were cars all around me and somehow I had managed to not touch anything. And I remember thinking, first, thank you, Jesus. And then I thought, man, that could have turned out a whole lot different. Sometimes you look back on life and good or bad, we see things that have occurred and we think, if this had happened or that had happened, 
things could have turned out a whole lot different. How many of you know there are things in your life that could have ended a whole lot differently? The drunk driver who swerved right into your lane, but the angel of the Lord created a buffer around your car between you and him, and somehow he never touched you. It could have ended a whole lot differently. If you had gotten stopped by the police at the wrong time back when you weren't living right, it could have ended a whole lot differently. Some of us, it's not that we didn't do anything wrong. It's by the grace of God we didn't get caught. It could have ended a whole lot different. If we'd have been at the wrong place at the wrong time, it could have been a whole lot different. Polish your halo if you want to, but there are some of us heathens in here who know it could have turned out a whole lot different. As the old timers saying, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, if it had not been for Jesus, tell me where would I be? Could have been a whole lot different. And maybe some of you today, you thought when I read my one verse of scripture, like, really, David and Goliath? That's the best you got? Does this somehow end different than it did the last 150 times I've heard it preached about? But since you already know how it ends, let me suggest something to you. David had never read 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 50. He didn't know how it was going to end. So we can shout, but David was shaken. Shaken in his sandals, holding a sling, trembling, wondering how this is going to end. Wondering. I'm preaching to someone today who's wondering. They're facing a giant. They're dealing with something they never dreamed of before, and the giants are waiting for you, and those giants are bigger than you, or your resources are not big enough to conquer your giant, or defeat seems certain for you, and you have not read 1 Samuel 17, 50 in your life yet. You don't know how it's going to all come out. The battle has not been declared over. The ending is still cloudy. It's not sure. The last chapter has not been written. And right now you are consumed with what if and I'm not sure and I don't know. And how will this all work out? And since we know how David's story ends, I'd like to for a few moments take a look at how it could have ended. Some alternate endings, if you will. Because it could have ended a whole lot different. If David made different decisions, the story would have ended a whole lot differently. And God is writing your story right now for you and your family. He is writing right now for the season of life that you are in right now. And decisions that you are making right now. Goliath that you are facing right now. And sometimes in the right now, it's hard to see the conclusion because we are blinded by the giant that we are facing right now. And although we know that Goliath goes down, David has to do it in the face of uncertainty. How many of you know that David had to face down some other obstacles before he ever got to the giant? Some other things that were trying to dissuade him from his path to Goliath. We're going to talk about three of those obstacles this morning that David had to face before he ever got to the giant. And if any of those battles had gone differently, things would have ended a whole lot differently. If David had been the typical teenager, I mean, he is around 17 when he kills Goliath. If he had been the typical teenager and if he had responded to his father in normal teenage fashion, when Jesse said, I want you to run these snacks to your brothers on the battlefield, if David had rolled his eyes and been like, come on, Dad, seriously? I'm like the future king, Dad. Don't you know who I am? You see, Samuel had already anointed David at that point. He knows his future is set. But if David had refused to be obedient in his present because he's too focused on his future, the story ends a whole lot differently. Think about it. If Jesse comes to David and says, I got some fresh bread and some cheese, and I need you to go down to your brothers to take these cheese sandwiches, I need you to go to the Valley of Eli, and I need you to take them some lunch. But David instead wakes up slowly, rolls his eyes, checks his phone, spends some time on the gram, on his spam account, the secret one his parents don't know he's got, he Snapchats with his friends about how the rents are getting on his nerves. My dad makes me sick. This is ridiculous. I hate my parents. I hate my life. David goes finally to the battlefield, arrives 45 minutes later than he should have. He misses Goliath shouting out, send me a man. He didn't know that Goliath was on the battlefield when he was on his way there. 
And I promise you today, you don't know what conversations God is going to orchestrate for you to hear and be a part of. You don't know when God might choose to use you. You don't know when the moment might turn into a life-changing event. You don't know when the bush is going to burst into a flame and God speak to you from it and suddenly the next step for your life is revealed. You don't know this, but if you don't show up and in obedience do the ordinary, do the things that are necessary, the ordinary things every day. And that's the first obstacle, the ordinary. The ordinary things that God has asked of you to do with a good attitude, it could have ended a whole lot differently. Do you think they would have taught this story in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or any sermon ever if the story had gone like this? Jesse woke up David, sent some food by David to his brothers. David showed up but had a bad attitude, gave the food to his brothers rudely, went back home and got back into bed and went to sleep. Yeah, I don't think we'd have heard that story. But it could have ended exactly that way. <clears throat> that could have been the end of the story. It could have ended with David feeling slighted because he was asked to do something ordinary, something that seemed insignificant. I mean, do you know who I am, Dad? Really, you're asking me to be a delivery boy? Do I look like I'm DoorDash? My brothers can fend for themselves and get their own food. I'm the anointed king, and you want me to be a delivery boy. All right, I'll do it, but I ain't going to like it. I'm going to do it on my own time. Okay, I'll go to church, but I ain't raising my hands. That's what the weird people do. I'll go, but I ain't going to be happy about it, Mom. It could have been a whole lot different. I'm King David. I'm the uncrowned king. Samuel puts his oil on my head. I'm the anointed king. It could have been a whole lot different if David tripped over the first obstacle of ordinary. What does that mean for us today? Here's what I know. Opportunity usually presents itself in the midst of the ordinary. If you're waiting for trumpets to announce the birth of Christ, you're going to miss the Savior that was born in the stable. If you're waiting for somebody to come down from heaven to proclaim you to be the second coming of the Apostle Paul or Pastor Buddy Thompson, then you are going to be sorely disappointed. God's best stuff is usually presented to us in the midst of ordinary. We all know people that want the pulpit, but they won't pick up a piece of trash in the aisle. They want hundreds of people to respect them, but they won't show up when work needs to be done. They want to be paraded as the leader of a ministry or a team, but they won't serve as part of the team. They lose out on the miraculous because they can't be bothered with the mundane. Sometimes your Goliath gets defeated because you're willing to take sandwiches to somebody who's hungry. Ordinary. This story turns out a whole lot different if David is unwilling to do the ordinary. If he falters at this obstacle, the story is a whole lot different. You aren't going, parents, today to have one conversation, just one, that will forever change your kids' lives. You are going to have to day by day, week after week, month after month, year after year, put in the time, make the same breakfast, wake them up, check their homework, take them to practice, teach them the things that matter, bring them to church, tell them I love you, ordinary things every day. That's what makes the difference, doing the ordinary. There is no magic bullet or special formula that ensures success. It's day after day, doing the ordinary, being obedient in the little things, showing up, doing your part, serving on a team, making a difference, little by little, day by day, doing the ordinary. David didn't know there was a giant in the valley of Elah. He was just obedient and doing the ordinary, and the opportunity presented itself. But if he refuses to do the ordinary, it could have been a whole lot different. What a boring story this would have been. David wakes up, gets asked to do something little, refuses to do it, and so he went back to sleep and slept for the next eight hours. How boring would that have been? So David gets there. He does the ordinary. He leaves the food with the keeper of the supplies. He's very responsible, and he runs to the battle lines. So he's there with the right attitude to see the opportunity, and by doing the ordinary, he was ready to see the extraordinary. Now, once he overcomes the obstacle of ordinary, and we all have to fight against that battle every day, Because we all want to be exceptional. And God sometimes just asks us to do the normal. Before he can even get to the opposition, he runs into his brother who has a bad attitude because David is even there. And it's not enough that he's the anointed king over us. Now you're going to show up at the battlefield and try to show us up. And we got to look after you out here. And David's brother is giving him such a hard time that now he has to overcome a second obstacle, the obstacle of offense. 
And no, I'm not talking about a fence that you put around your yard. I'm talking about offense or being offended. That's obstacle number two, offense. Because before he can get to his opponent, before he can get to Goliath, he has to fight against being offended. Watch this. Some of us are fighting the wrong battle. We are fighting a preliminary battle and we're missing the real one. Because David comes down, before he even comes down to the battlefield, David is that guy, right? You ever met a guy like this? He's like runs up and he's like, hey guys, what's going on? How's it going? How you, what, what's going on out here? You ever met people like that? It's like the little chihuahua on the Looney Tunes cartoon. that's just like bouncing around the big bulldog all the time. Like, hey, 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 hey. Right? That's David. He's so excited. And these guys have been out there day after day. It's nothing new to them. It has become ordinary. There's this dude who's nine foot tall. He keeps coming out every day asking for someone to come fight him. But we can't do nothing with him because, I mean, look at him. He's so big. And David's like, look how big he is. One country preacher said, he said to the rest of the army, looked at Goliath, and they thought he was too big to kill. But David looked at him and said, he's too big to miss. What's your perspective today? What are you looking at today? The challenge before you is an indication of the power that is within you. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all didn't hear that one. The challenge before you is an indication of the power that is within you. If God didn't think you were capable, he wouldn't set you up for the victory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. <clears throat> so David's like, what do I get if I kill him? Saul said, and it's been 40 days, so Saul had kept upping the ante. You know, it's kind of like the airline when they're full flight. Uh, more desperate, the greater the value. Saul said that the man that kills him will get his daughter in marriage, not the ugly one, the really pretty one. He gets her. And you don't ever have to pay taxes again. David's like, for real? Did somebody verify that? And somebody said, it has to be true. We saw it on Facebook. Could have been a whole lot different. David hasn't been out there for 40 days. He hasn't got used to being amongst soldiers who choose not to fight because the enemy's too big. He, he, he hadn't got the dysfunction of the Israeli army, hadn't become ordinary to David. He hadn't gotten used to standing there defeated without even fighting. And to them, Goliath just sounds normal, but to David, it sounds different. Wait a minute. He, he's not supposed to talk about our God like that. Well, wait a minute. He shouldn't be talking about us like that. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't he know who we are? We, we shouldn't be hearing this. We shouldn't be listening to this stuff. He shouldn't be able to curse our God like that. Do you know that you can get so comfortable in your dysfunction that it feels normal when you've been in it for so long? Some people live at such lower of a level than what God intended because they've allowed their dysfunction to become their normal. They've allowed the routine of the world and the system at its end to influence them to the place that they aren't even appalled by the sin that passes over their life. They get riled up and ready to fight if a politician threatens to pass a law that they, don't think, that they think will infringe on their rights. But they will sit and listen to filthy jokes and filthy lyrics to songs and it never even occurs to them that what they've allowed to become normal is infringing on their spiritual rights because spiritually they're in a place that something from this world is taking over them. David is like, so he said, what about God? I, 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 no. And what do I get if I get to kill him? I mean, that's David's attitude. And this is what happens. Every time we get close to doing the will of God in our lives, the enemy will present us with a secondary enemy to distract from the real battle that God wants us to win. He wants to give you an alternate ending. He will present you with an alternative that seems viable, that seems possible. So in David's case, it's his big brother Eliab. And Eliab starts judging David's motives. Notice in 1 Samuel 17, 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men... He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. And the enemy's trying to trigger David to get him to fight the wrong battle. If he stands there and argues with his brother, he'll never face the, the, the correct enemy. Sometimes you are fighting against what you're supposed to be fighting for. Wait a minute, you are not my enemy. You are not the one who I'm supposed to fight. That's him. You're my brother. I'm supposed to be for you, not against you. Some of us are defeated simply because we are distracted. Think about how this could have ended. David spends the next two hours defending himself to Eliad instead of going to the battle and fighting the Goliath. Now, some of us are so caught up in what others think of us that we'll spend hours down the rabbit hole 
online after posting a picture or a thought, and then you'll read every comment, analyze every like, and before you know it, the one person who's always good for a negative thought puts a burr in your saddle, and before you know it, the good that you were trying to convey is wrecked because you now feel the need to defend yourself online, and you end up in an argument with people who you don't even hardly know and rarely even like. And today I would say to some of us in this room that we could change the world if we'd stop trying to spend our time defending ourselves. I need somebody to hear this because some of us trip over an offense and we never defeat the real opponent because we stand and argue with Eliab. We never even get to Goliath. It could have been a whole different ending. And I bet Sister Bonnie Lewis would have not been able to teach me the Bible story in Sunday school of David and Goliath if he had stood there instead and argued with, with his brother Eliab. Now here's the thing that's practical about this. Some of us are fighting Eliab today, and because we're fighting Eliab, Goliath goes unchallenged in our life. How do you know if you're spending too much time fighting Eliab? If you're standing around blaming everyone else for your plight in life, instead of taking responsibility, you're blaming Eliab. If you find yourself distracted by a bunch of little things while the big things gets ignored, you're fighting Eliab. If you've got a giant in your life that you refuse to deal with and you spend all your time focused on everybody else's problems, guess who you're fighting with? Eliab. You're ignoring Goliath and that's the one you need to deal with. David did this move that I want to learn how to do when I realize I'm fighting the wrong enemy. When I realize I'm fighting someone outside, when I need to be dealing with something on the inside, when I realize I'm trying to control how other people are versus trying to have self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in my own life. The Bible says David did something really strategic, and this is really the turning point of the story. It says in verse 30 that when Eliab was going back and forth with David, David hit him with a real quick insult punch. I mean, he really gave him a quick jab, and then he pivoted and went on about his business. Watch what he does in 1 Samuel 17, 29, and 30. So Eliab's giving him a hard time. David goes, now what have I done? Says David, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. He just said, you know what? I'm not dealing with you. I'm moving on. You can run your mouth. You can think I'm here for the pride of the moment. That's not what I'm here for. I'm moving on. When he turns away from Eliab, he positions himself to face Goliath. He wasn't going to face Goliath as long as he's talking to Eliab, but when he turned away, he puts himself in the right position. So whoever, it's for, so whoever it's for, you'll never even get to Goliath. You'll never even get to the giant that is causing your problems if you're constantly distracted by Eliab, if you're constantly distracted by those around you who are just obstacles in the way of the real battle. Eliab wasn't the giant. Eliab wasn't the enemy. Eliab was his brother that he was supposed to fight for, not with. So now we've watched David literally move away from the problem and go put his eyes on the bigger problem instead of the obstacle that was put in his place. So now we watch David with two different alternate endings. If he argues with Eliab or he refuses to take the food, things would have been a whole lot different. Somebody today in this room, your story's being written, and sometimes you think you know how it ends, but it's not over yet. You, we, we all have gotten to places in our life where we get there, and it's, it's a mess, right? You ever been there? No, I'm the only one, right? I'm the only one that has mess. I got mess. Sit and we'll commiserate sometime. I got mess. Sometimes in the middle of your mess, you can think it's over. But the last time I checked, if you've got breath in your body, it's not over yet. It's not done. What if it's not over? What if God has a bigger plan? What if, you know what? God put Eliab in, Eliab was in the way and God said, you know what? David, we still, the story's not done yet. Eliab's not going to keep you from the promise. Let's go. I'm going to use you for great things. I'm just posing a question. What if it's not over yet? What if your best days are not behind you? What if the devil really is a liar? What if everything that you've been through is here to serve a greater purpose? What if God is setting you up for something greater? The story's still not over. David has overcome the obstacle of the ordinary and the obstacle of offense, but now he has to go through Saul. The one who probably should have been celebrating him, but certainly the one who should have been supporting him and should have been out on the battlefield himself fighting for his people. But Saul's back in his tent, and so now David has to go see Saul. And when he goes, he's forced to face the third obstacle of only. Do you know only? Have you ever met only? I've, I know only really well. Let me tell you about only. 
Only is the spirit of lack and limitation. Do you know only? Notice what Saul says to David. David said to Saul, verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David's like, I got this. Don't let nobody be depressed. I got it. And Saul replies, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul basically says, you're not able to do it because you're only. David could have been like, you're right. I am only a young man. I'm going home. Why put myself on the line? I'm not capable. I'm not able. I am only. Could have ended a whole lot different. But instead, David pulls out his resume for Saul. And he's like, well, I'm pretty good at beating stuff that's bigger than me. I beat a lion. I beat down a bear. Put me in, coach. But Saul says, you're only a boy. I wonder what you're only in your own mind. Remember, Saul wasn't the enemy. Saul was supposed to be a friend. You ever had something inside of you turn on you? You can't do that. You are only fill in the blank. You are only this. You are only that. I want to tell somebody today that you are not only. I want to tell our graduating seniors today, you are not only. You are not limited today. You are not less than today. You are, not the, you, are not, you are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not belief. Jeremiah, in the first chapter of his prophecy, he says to God, I can't go. I'm only a boy. And God replied, say not I am only a boy. I am not only. I have more in me than what I can even dream of. Why? Because God is in me. And if he is in me, I am not only anything. What limitations are you putting on yourself today? What is the next word that comes out of your mouth when you say, I am only? I am only broke. I am only a high school graduate. I am only a college graduate. I am only a laborer. I am only, what is it that you put there? What, do you, what is it that you are only that is preventing you from becoming more? Because God doesn't put only limitations on any of us. The only limitation God puts us on, on us is how powerful he is. And if he is able today to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, you don't ever have to settle for only. David doesn't let Saul define him as only because he recognizes what he is, not what he is, but whose he is. One of the most, the greatest differentiation you can make in your life is to recognize not what you are, but who you belong to. What, not what you are, but whose you are. You are a child of God. You are bought with a price. And David says, no, no, I've never faced this giant, but I brought the same God to this valley that I brought to the last valley. And the reason I'm preaching this today is because some of you are standing right now in front of something that has got you shook. You've seen a giant that's bigger than one you've ever seen before. But David said, here's the common pattern I've noticed. Okay, I dropped the lion and I dropped the bear. It only stands to reason that if the lion didn't stand a chance and the bear didn't stand a chance because they oppose my father's business, if this giant opposes the purposes of God, guess what? He's got to go down too. And today I predict an upset victory over everything in your life that is bigger than you, that opposes the purposes of God in you. Come on, he's the God of the beginning and the end of your story. The writer of Hebrews describes God as the author and the finisher of our faith. He not only begins a story, but he writes it through to its completion. You may not like the chapter you're in right now, but guess what? It's not over yet. I know how this story ends because I know who's writing it. And as long as he has the pen, guess what? It's going to turn out good. He won't stop writing until it gets good. I know who, who's writing it, and he is the author and the perfecter of my faith. If you are in God's hands today, he is writing your story. If you are submitted to him, he is the author. It's not over until you win. It's not over until light overcomes the darkness. It's not over. It could have been a whole different story, but I want to suggest to you today that maybe it still can be. See, some of us are stuck in our story right now, and we don't like the part that we're in. But I'm here to suggest today that it doesn't have to end where you are. It can write a whole different ending. I know in church we talk a lot about new beginnings. And the Bible does tell us that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. 
And so I believe in new beginnings. But if you were to look at my notes today, you would find that my favorite form of punctuation is not a period. It is not an exclamation point. It's not a comma or a colon. The punctuation that I use the most is an ellipses. Some of you don't even know what that is. I hope our, college grad, our high school graduates over here know what an ellipses is. It's the, three, it's the three periods you see at the end of a statement sometimes, like right there and right there and right there. What it means is that there's more that's coming. There's an additional thought that ties to this thought to be continued. There's more that may not be being said right now, but there's more to this story. John Maxwell, I've heard make a statement many times, says you cannot not go back and begin again, but you can start now and you can create a whole new end. And see, we can't go and whitewash our past. We can't act like it doesn't exist. Yes, God forgives it. Yes, God's mercy and grace lets us overcome it, but it's still there. We don't get to go back and start it all over again. But what we can do is draw a line, a demarcation in the sand that says, from this day forward, my whole ending is going to be different. Why? I'm making different choices. I'm doing something different. I'm trusting God for the end of my story. See, we can't start the story over, but we can create a whole new end. You are not only today. You are not limited or less or weak or impoverished or broke or busted or disgusted. You are his child. You are a child of the king. You have favor with God. You are his kid. And you are not who others say you are. You are not even who you think you are, but you are who he says you are. And you can walk out with confidence and know how this story will end. Your story as of right now is in the continuation mode. You ever watch the TV show or watched a movie, and at the end of it, they put across the screen to be continued. Does that make anybody else mad? I got to know. How's it going to end? I know the giant team's big right now. I know that you may feel like things are bad right now, but in the continuation of this story, he falls to the ground. Right now, it may feel like you're overwhelmed and you feel like it can't go, but to be continued, God's got something better just down the road. In life, we're always scheming and dreaming, trying to figure out exactly how it's all going to work out, what God is going to do to bring this dream to pass. I was talking to somebody in between services about the the time that my car spun out of control, and I've often looked back at that and thought, what did God do? Did he, like, turn the ends of my car into, like, liquid vapor and, like, allow it to pass through stuff? You know, i got to try to figure it all out. But... One of the things we need to understand is that in the midst of our scheming and dreaming and trying to figure it all out, life doesn't always go in a straight line. You may not get from point A to point B the way you think you will. It might not be perfect. It might not look like somebody else's situation. We get in the worst trouble when we try to figure it all out instead of understanding that God is working on our behalf. And even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. I got to trust him in the moment. David could have messed it all up if he tried to figure it out based on Saul's successes. Saul wanted him to wear his armor. Saul wanted him to go into his tent and put on his armor. And if he'd have tried to do it based on Saul's success, the Goliath that we know in the Bible would have still been standing. He'd have probably trampled over some Israelites. See, yours might be messier. Yours might look laughable. I'm only high school educated. Good. God's going to get so much more glory because you didn't have a college degree. Now, when people look at you, they're going to have to know it was God that took you to the highest heights of where you wanted to go. We get in the worst trouble when we try to do it based on what somebody else did. If I tried to preach the way Pastor Thompson preaches, I would be of all men most miserable and unsuccessful. There's no way it could work. If I tried to sing like Lisa, y'all definitely would not want to be here. If I tried to serve based on somebody else's equipping or somebody else's gifting, it never works out. You know who you got to serve based on? You got to serve based on yours. And guess what? David, when he walked on the battlefield, he was serving in his own capacity. He pulled out his sling, he pulled out his stones, and he went to work. Not based on somebody else but based on what God was writing for his story. Could have been a whole lot different, but the grace of God stepped in just in the nick of time to bring it to pass. Spoiler alert. How many of you like spoilers? I got one person in the back. Thank you. Thank you, sister. I I don't like spoilers, but if I'm scared about how it's going to end, I'll take it. Well, here's a spoiler alert. Goliath falls. Plot twist. Goliath dies. But guess what? That's not how the story ends. I know it looks great on a flannel graph in Sister Bonnie's Sunday school class. 
And David's awfully cute with a slingshot and his pouch of stones. But here's the grown-up version. You ready? Most of us never read 1 Samuel 17, 51. Because the story ends with David like hitting Goliath with a rock and Goliath falling on the ground and dying. And I read 50 and that was it, right? David triumphed. The rock, it took him down. David has something else, though, that he had to do. The Bible says that after he knocked him down, because some of us are content just to stun our enemy and leave him on the ground. You, you know what I'm saying. You, you, you come to church, you feel good for 90 minutes, you get a little word, you go home, you forget about it, you go right back into the same stuff, go right back into the same cycle, go right back into the same deadlock, go right back into the same pretending, go right back into the same stuff. But David made up his mind that something had to change. If Israel was going to be free, he just couldn't score a hit on the enemy. He had to finish him. Everybody say finish him. David said, I didn't just come down here to bring cheese and bread. When this story started, David could have been derailed by the feeling of only. He could have been derailed by being a delivery boy and being offended. But you see, he wasn't the delivery boy. Goliath was the delivery boy. Because he brought to the battle something David desperately needed. David didn't know that he wouldn't need anything. But right in verse 50, it says, David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. It says he came to the battle without a sword in his hand. Here's another spoiler alert. He left with one. Who was carrying the sword? His enemy was. For some of you today, Goliath has got your sword. Goliath has got your sword, and if you want to see the victory, you're going to have to defeat him. And what's standing in front of you right now is holding the secret to your victory. David declared, I came against you not with sword or spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. You need to tell the person next to you, say, do you know the end of the story? You think your story ends in defeat today, but I'm here to tell somebody that God is going to get glory out of your victory, out of every situation in your life. 1 Samuel 17, 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So after he killed him, he's already dead. He went and cut off his head. Now he's really dead, right? I always thought that the story was over when David cut off his head. How much more savage can you be, right? The head is off. The giant is down. But that's not how the story ends. So... We only think we know how this story ends. You tell your story and you're like, and then I got a divorce. But that's not the end of your story. That's not the last time you can love or be loved. That's not the end of your story. We were doing great and the doctor gave me this diagnosis. That's not the end of your story. God's not finished with you because you got a negative report. You know, they were doing pretty good and then their business fell apart. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the last time you will feel success. That's just character development. Pastor's wife Robin and I talk a lot about the Bible and we talk a lot about the Apostle Paul for some reason. He seems to be the subject we talk about more than anything. And uh, Apostle Paul at times in his life can make you really angry. And at times in his life you can be like, man, I want to be more like him. And if you look at the linear pattern of his life, you'll see that the times that you're most angry with him is early in his ministry, and the times that you really want to be like him is later in his ministry. And the reason that happens is because time passes, stuff happens, character development occurs. See, right now, you might be going through the toughest point in your life, and it might be to feel like everything is about to end, but if you'll let it, God will just use it to develop your character to make you better, so that the next stage of your life, you're more prepared for what's to come. Why? Because it's development over time that makes us into the people God wants us to be. David's leaving the battlefield, but he's not leaving empty-handed. I'm leaving with a sword, but I'm also leaving with a lesson. I passed this test, and now I'm leaving with a testimony. I'm leaving with a brighter day. I'm leaving with a new praise in my spirit. I'm leaving with the word from God. I'm being developed until the next time I'm going to be better. Why? Because I've allowed God's process in my life. You know, sometimes the giant you defeat today, you don't even realize why you had to face him or why you had to turn out the way it did until years later. And that's what happens for David. David cuts off the giant's head. The armies of the Philistines flee. David goes after them. He kills a bunch more with Goliath's sword. But when the battle's over, 
he places the sword in the temple of Nob. Time goes by, years pass. David finds himself running for his life from King Saul. He has no weapon. Again, I don't know why David didn't carry a weapon, but he didn't have one. He didn't learn yet, I guess. And he happens to be near the temple at Nob. He runs in to find the temple attendant. His name is Ahimelech, which is fun to say, Ahimelech, right? That's a cool name. I'm not going to, don't want to change mine to that, but what a cool name. And he says, if he has any weapon, ask, David asks Ahimelech if he has any weapons in the temple. And Ahimelech says, the only weapon here is the one you placed here, the sword of Goliath. David says, hey, there's no, none like that sword. Give it to me. And David takes the sword that he won on the battlefield in the midst of a great battle, and he carries it further into greater victory. So you don't know what the victory that you gain today is going to provide for victories in the future. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. See, when you overcome, you gain some things in the Spirit, and you gain some weapons that will be used later if you'll allow them to be. You don't know what victory that you gain today is going to provide for in the future. And you don't know the stories that you tell and the testimonies that you share about your victory, how they're going to cause others to rise up and be victorious as well. Why? Because what you're sharing builds faith. Faith is a weapon that they can use when they need it most. They can call back on it and say, if he did it for her, he can do it for me. If the musicians would come, and the singers too, because, you know, I need them all. I can't sing. David started with a sling, but he ended up with a sword. Not his own sword, but one that was to be used against him. See, the enemy brought the weapon that was to be used against him to the battlefield. But instead, it worked for him. The Bible says, no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Notice the Bible does not say, no weapon will ever be formed against you. See, a lot of people live their life and they get mad at God when weapons are formed against them because they think somehow being a child of God eliminates all the weapons that could be formed. But the Bible does not tell us that they won't be formed. It just says they won't work. Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. God says literally your heritage as his servant is that weapons will be formed, but they will have not power over you. They will not be able to hurt you. They will not be able to harm you. They will not prosper. If you'd stand with me all over this house today, you may be in the middle of a battle. You may have been fighting this battle for weeks, months, years, decades. I don't know how long you've been on the battlefield, but I know who is with you in the fight. You can allow the obstacle of ordinary to stop you. This is my life. This is my new normal. I'm just stuck in a battle forever. I'm going to always be fighting this. This is just what it is. I'm just destined to face this enemy forever. You can allow the obstacle of offense to keep you defeated. Well, if they hadn't done this, if they hadn't said that, if my parents had loved me more, if they treated me differently, if I hadn't been passed over for that job, on and on excuses and offenses that keep us from victory. Or you can allow the obstacle of only. Well, I'm only one person. I can only do so much. I've only got this education. I'm only a single mom. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only, I'm only. And worse than the I'm onlys are the if onlys. If only I'd done this. If only I'd made a better choice. If only I had did that. If only I'd married that person. If I'd lived at that place. If I'd taken that job. If only... If only, if only. And you can let insecurity and regret rob you of a victorious life. Or you can overcome every one of them and say, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I know who's writing my story. I know how it's going to end. I know in whom I have placed my trust. And come obstacle after obstacle, come heaven, hell, or high water, he will make a way. Somebody before you leave here today needs to tell Goliath, you come against me with addiction, you come against me with anxiety, you come against me with pain, you come against me with disease, you come against me with hurt and struggles, but I come against you in the name of the God of Israel, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they began to sing, I want to invite you to come to this altar. Now, I didn't say this in first service, but I'm going to say it now. I've been stuck on that corner chair for a while, 
like 16 weeks I was stuck there not able to come around here and there's something I've noticed we have a lot of people that are like they're afraid to get past that chair like they come down the aisle and stop I want to encourage you today there's a lot of room up here too to come down to this front and connect to God you don't have to be there or here that's not the point being there causes other people not to be able to get past you but there's something amazing that happens when we step out in faith and say God I'm not satisfied with my story like it is right now I know you've got better for me I know you've got more for me I know there's more coming I want to trust you with the rest of my story I want to trust you with the writing of my story when we do that, when we turn it over to God, what we're really doing is we're inviting Him to take the pen. We're taking it out of our hand and we're saying, God, I want your best in me. I want your best for me. I want your best to be accomplished in my life. And so as they began to sing, I want to invite you to come today, to come to this altar and surrender the pen, surrender the story, and let Him begin to finish what He's already begun in you today. Can we do that together all over this house?
reason I like him so much is because a lot like David, he, he comes into the middle of the battles and the obstacles that were put before him, and his story could have turned out a whole lot different. He was lied about, he was sold into slavery, he was sent to prison, forgotten about in prison, on and on and on the story goes. And anywhere along the way, he could have looked at God and said, you know what, God, <laughs> sorry, I wish you hadn't even given me a dream. This is ridiculous. I, don't, I shouldn't have to go through this. I'm, if I'm your guy, why am I going through all this? But he doesn't. And at the end of his life, after God has brought his dreams to fulfillment, he saved all these people by putting plans in place. His brothers come to him, and they think he's going to turn on them. They think he's going to be over. And he looks at them, and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And what he's really saying is, all the obstacles, all of the stuff that came, it was designed to destroy me. It was designed to stop me. It was designed to keep me from accomplishing my plan. But because I didn't, God took all of that evil and he made something good out of it. And that's why Paul could write that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. Because I got a lot of stuff that's not good. And I can be very frustrated if I stare at the things that are not good. But God takes all the things that are not good and he turns it into something great when he put it in his hand. And so as our final moment this evening as our, in our worship and our time here, I just want us to every hand lifted toward heaven. I want us to surrender all of the bad, all of the stuff that's not good. And I want us to surrender it to God and I want us to embrace the good that God is going to replace it with. Can we do it together all over this house? Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for every struggle, every trial, every, every battle. God, is an opportunity for you to bring triumph into our life. We surrender them to you today, oh God, and we embrace the good that you're bringing into us. We trust you, oh God, for the good that you will accomplish in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you for it. All over this house, let's thank him and worship him together. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.